Okay, does anybody out there uh, feel like their emotions are maybe uh, just running a little high right now? Anybody? Relate that uh, we, there is just no chance that we've got this nice, just quiet spring rolling into a lazy summer full of uh, vacations. It's not happening. The whole world seems to be connected right now on a roller coaster of emotions named 2020. And it just doesn't seem to stop. So through prayer, as I was seeking the Lord and talking with my wife and what's next steps, which is always the posture of we want to lead the church with a heart connected to what is the Spirit saying, both in our world, in our church and families, what is God doing? How can we join with Him? I felt like the Psalms were were sticking out and just speaking loud. So over the next month or so, we're going to dig into a few different psalms. Because if there's anything that you can take away uh, from the psalms, it's that God can handle our human full range of emotions. And in fact, part of the authentic life with God, which is what we're all about, we're not here to play games, we're not here to go through the motions, we're not here to just get a little you know, notch on our belt for being a religious person, we don't care about any of that. We want to have a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And what the Psalms show us is that, man, part of that authentic life is being able to come to God with all, full, the full range of our emotions, the highs, the lows, the in-betweens, and bring it to him in conversation, in prayer. That's what the Psalms are. They are songs that were sung, but they started as prayers. They started as journal entries of David and others, and they were turned into songs. So they're very raw, authentic conversations with God. I mean, check some of these out. Psalm 63, because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Oh, God, your love is better than anything else. That's a good place to be. How about Psalm 6? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. Psalm 71, my mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Except when I'm drenching my bed with tears. Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Or how about in regards to his enemies when David says, Psalm 58, God, break their teeth out of their mouth. Psalm 51, but have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Blot out my transgressions. This guy's all over the place. But if we're honest, so are we. It's just the human life. I believe it'll be a helpful encounter of God's truth in his word If we go through a number of these and just see this wide variety of human emotions that are right here in the Psalms that are just authentic, they're they're raw, they're here I am, God, here's here's how I'm feeling right now in this moment. We can bring those to God and then seek God's face for what is his will, what is his solution, what is his perspective. And you see that a lot in the Psalms where 
David's super raw. You forgot me! And then at the end of the psalm, he's like, well, actually, you didn't forget me. Thank you. You're faithful and steadfast in your love. In the same psalm. It's okay. The roller coaster is, is real. So I want to begin today with Psalm 1. Because it's no accident that Psalm 1 is the opening prayer. It's the opening song on purpose, I truly believe. There's, there's a, a Holy Spirit inspiration to why this psalm is first. It's kind of like the introduction to it all. It's a very simple message in a way, but it's meant to instruct us on how to cultivate that authentic relationship with God that we long for. So let's look at it. Psalm 1, the whole thing, 1, 1 to 6. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There's a lot in this psalm. We've talked about it before. I've preached on it before. There's, but I felt like the Lord just gave me a whole different angle on it for this morning. Just to see a very simple message that I believe is very pertinent for our life right now. Starts off the whole book of Psalms, the whole book of prayers. How do we talk to God? We have to recognize this simple message. There is absolutely a battle for your thoughts. There is a battle for your mind. And where you choose to put the meditation of your thoughts will have a dramatic effect on the fruit and the outcome of your life. Kind of reminds me of Jesus painting the picture of there are two roads. One is wide and easy. It's the way of destruction. And the other is narrow and is hard, but it's the way to life and life abundantly. Starting the Psalms, there's this fork in the road. And it comes down to a battle for our mind. Where are the meditations of our thoughts? And if you're new to us here, I am not scared of the word meditation. It is a very biblical word. It's right in here. Meditate day and night. So if you get all, you know, fluffled up about uh, meditation, well, read the Bible. Meditate simply means to occupy our thoughts. I'm not talking about Eastern religion meditation, which is like empty your mind of everything. No, the biblical meditation is what's occupying your thoughts. What is filling your thoughts? The literal word means to chew on. So you're chewing on ideas. And I am becoming more and more convinced that we all meditate. Meditation is not a matter of if, it's simply a matter of on what. When you are stressed and you are anxious, you are meditating on the problem. When you are hope-filled and peaceful, you are meditating on the promises. I'm really getting convinced that we, our minds are made to meditate. 
Our minds are not meant to be empty. God created us to have thoughts full. And so there is a battle for our mind. The most important thing, the most important factor in the battle is where are we intentionally choosing to put or set or invest our thoughts. Romans 8 says it like this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds, they set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So The Bible is making clear here that God has given us the choice, an authority, if you will, an ownership of where are you going to set your mind. More clearly, in Colossians 3, showing our responsibility, verse 2 says this, it's a direct command, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. This is talking be kingdom-minded, being heavenly-minded. What is God's perspective on every situation? What is God's will in every circumstance? What does God's word say about such and such? Set your mind on those things that are above. So the Bible between Psalm 1 and Romans 8 and Colossians 3 and others is clearly saying we have a very real choice about where we are investing our thoughts. And I believe that word invest is a good one because there's fruit, there's return, there's outcome based on the intentionality of where we are allowing ourselves or choosing to put our thoughts, to put our meditations And so Psalm 1 makes clear that there is a very real choice and intentionality about setting our minds in the counsel with the counsel of the wicked or set our minds on the headlines of God's word, God's world. I mean, listen to that language. The one who lives a blessed life, who prospers in all they do, which is some awesome language, by the way, It's because they meditate on and delight in the Word of God. They meditate on it day and night. Now, this doesn't mean that you got to be alone reading God's Word all day long. That's not real. That's not practical. We have jobs. Even King David who wrote this, he's leading an empire. So it's not like, oh, you have to spend 10 hours a day alone reading God's Word. No, it's that you have read enough from from God's word and listening to messages or it's worship songs or prayer or journaling that you've got God's word in your mind so that throughout your day, throughout normal life, that's what's informing and filling your thoughts, your worldview, your perspective. So that as you encounter the challenges of the day, it's the law of the Lord that is filtering it all the word of God filtering it all so that you are meditating on it day and night. You're thinking about it. It's your worldview. 
talk a little bit more about the intentionality in a moment, but I want to speak why is meditating on God's word, intentionally setting your mind on God's word and God's truth, so crucial. And the reason why it is, we see it right here in Psalm 1, is because there is a real battle for your mind, for your thoughts. The battle for our mind, the battle for your mind is all around us. Psalm 1 says it like this, Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But, that's a contrast, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So that's where you're seeing this this picture of the fork in the road emerge. The counsel of the wicked versus the law of the Lord. The counsel of the wicked, that's the, the wisdom of, the perspective of, the message from. Versus the wisdom of, the message from, the counsel of the Lord. So you're seeing these clear diverging paths. And what's important about this picture of the counsel of the wicked, the way of the sinners, the seat of scoffers, is that they stand in opposition to the law of the Lord. It's not like a neutral, like, oh, it's just this other perspective out there, and it's kind of like zero sum. It's kind of neutral. No, it's saying that there is opposition out there that comes with their own message, their own version of the good news, their own version of wisdom, counsel, worldview, perspective. And if it's not in line with the kingdom of God, then it is, according to Psalm 1, counsel of the wicked that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. As Jesus said in John 10. That's why in Colossians, Paul says something that's, that's a little disturbing, actually, just to begin with. Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. What is philosophy? Simply ideas of truth and empty deceit is lies. So there's a little bit more modern language. Don't let anyone make you a prisoner to their ideas and empty lies. According to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. That's, that's a, a bit disturbing. Saying, Paul's saying, watch out, there's a warning that there are dark forces out there that want to take you captive, and where that begins is in your thoughts. It begins in the meditation of your mind. It begins in what is influencing your world view. Don't let anyone take you prisoner, beginning with your thoughts. If it's not according to Christ, don't let it take you prisoner. Now that's a kind of a hard pill to swallow, to read this as a, a Colossian, but now we can put ourselves in it, to think, is one of the ways that the enemy is attacking me, you, families, people, Christians, 
is that one of the ways that the enemy is at work in the world is trying to take us captive, make us prisoner, get us off track with what God wants for our life, with what God wants to do in and through us by simply our thoughts. At the beginning, this idea of like, there are enemies at work trying to get our thoughts, trying to infiltrate our thoughts, trying to fill us with a worldview that's not Christ. At first, that's kind of a hard pill to swallow. Paul's writing it, saying, watch out. It's real, though. And as you think about it, biblically, fits with Psalm 1, fits with what Jesus says in John chapter 8, 44, that our enemy, Satan, is the father of what? Lies. Well, where do lies get planted? In your mind, in your thoughts. So therefore, we have to wrestle with and be aware of the reality that one of the primary components of the spiritual battle that's raging all around us is for our thoughts. Are we walking through each day full of and believing God's truth, meditating on the law of the Lord, or have we allowed the enemy's lies, the counsel of the wicked, to just infiltrate our thoughts, maybe even unknowingly, but we're carrying it with us? throughout the day, and it's informing how we see the world and ourselves. The meditation of our thoughts. I mean, you can see it, and many of you already obviously know this, but every single advertisement is an absolute direct attempt to shape your worldview, to shape your thoughts, to send you the message that if you want the good life, you need this. It plays on some just real innate things inside of us. When we're told we need the good life, and currently if you don't have this product, you don't have the best life possible, so therefore the good life will be experienced if and only if you have this. I mean, obviously, it's marketing. It's an attempt to sway our thoughts. But let's be a little bit more real or a little bit more poignant. There are absolutely forces at work in our world bringing messages our way that have the desire, the agenda to just make you scared. Period. No way that that's not true. Because if you're scared... When you watch the news or you read an article or you see something, if you're scared, what do you do? You tune back in. And you do. You you stay glued. And guess what? That's how you make money. That's how they make money. Is if we continue to go back. And fear works really well if we are freaked out and we have to get updates 20 times a day because we're so scared. They're making a lot of money. 100%, no question about it, fear sells. There are intentional forces in our world that want us scared. We've got to see it. I don't know exactly what they are, but it's real. There are absolutely intentional forces that want division. We know that because the enemy has wanted to divide from the beginning. We talked about that last week. Division and lies are his, like, two top tactics Started with Adam and Eve, goes to Cain and Abel, goes to every tongue, tribe, and nation, divided. 
Christ came to break down that wall of hostility so we can be one new humanity. So if that's a reality that, of what God wants, then we've got to be aware of what the enemy wants and, and be vigilant to see it and say, no, I'm not buying into that. I'm not buying into fear. I'm not buying into division. I'm not going to let that fill my thoughts so that now I walk around throughout the day with that as my filter. If, if we are, we've unintentionally, most likely, bought into the counsel of the wicked. That's a practical application of Psalm 1. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. If it's opposed to God and you know it, don't let it be what fills your thoughts so that you're carrying it throughout the day. Let me give you one disturbing example that, that uh, thanks to some brothers in here, I, I, I watched a documentary, super good. It's disturbing, but it makes sense. Do you know that the CIA had a program, probably still has one, they never officially denied it, called Operation Mockingbird. And that program, the express purpose was to be able to control the narrative, this is the CIA, rogue agents within the CIA, to control the narrative of what is said through media outlets, both news and movies. And this is not a conspiracy theory. There was the church hearings in 1975 in which the CIA admitted it, and the conclusion of the congressional hearing was, quote, that this was the CIA's, quote, attempt to influence opinion or thoughts through the use of, pro of covert, subtle, propaganda in media outlets such as news and movies. <laughs> Dark forces that, are, that have, were caught with the express purpose of wanting to sway your thoughts, to control your thoughts according to the agenda that they had, whatever that may be. If it's good, that's great. If it's not good, it's still there. And you, and you start to see there's this, there's this web of, of connections in our country where there are powerful forces that want to influence your thoughts. You can look into the reality that the CIA helped Disney get all of this weird swampland in Florida. Why would a government agency help an entertainment agency get a huge, very low-cost portion of land? What does government and, and entertainment have to do with each other? Why does the CIA want to be nice to Disney? So that was part of what came out of the 1975 church hearings, the admission that we want to be able to control your thoughts. We want to be able to sway your opinions. Now, <laughs> it's a little disturbing and maybe everybody at the CIA is 100% Christ-like in their perspective and in their worldview and in the, in the agenda that they're wanting to put forth, but I'm not banking on it. So that's just a, a, a practical picture of the biblical reality of Psalm 1, that there are opposing forces in the world that are battling for your mind. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, that's, a, that's weird language because you don't think that's, that's war, battle. That's, that's a, a, an aggressive word. Take thoughts captive. Now, you think about it, that's, that's weird. 
why, what's wrong with my thoughts? Like, are, are my thoughts my enemy? Like, if I'm having to take something captive, that's like battlefield language of what you do to an enemy. You take an enemy captive and submit it to your leader. So do we realize that sometimes the thoughts in our mind are our own enemy? They're not serving us. They're not serving the kingdom of God in and through us. Do we have that awareness that sometimes the thoughts need to be aggressively taken captive and made them to obey Christ and his kingdom? I mean, that's an uncomfortable idea that even my own thoughts can be an enemy at times. But if, unintentionally, we've soaked in the counsel of the wicked, if unintentionally we've, we've soaked in the worldview that is not of Christ and we're carrying that throughout our day, if that's happened, like Psalm 1 says it can happen, like Colossians 3 says it can happen, then it makes a lot of sense that we've got to be vigilant in our own mind to be taking thoughts captive, to be saying, who does, who, what worldview does this belong to? Does this bring honor and glory to Christ? Is this part of the kingdom of heaven coming to earth? And we wrestle. So there is a battle for your mind because of the dramatic repercussions that it has on all of life. So, part of the privilege and responsibility as followers of Christ is to recognize that dark forces desire to sway our thoughts towards the lies of the enemy, and therefore we get to be, we have the privilege to be, we have the necessity to be vigilant to see attacks coming our way, to be aware, and then when needed, to be aggressive in which we take those thoughts and we make them captive according to God's word, God's will, God's way. So that the meditation of our thoughts is on the truth and the hope of God's kingdom. So let's finish with this question. How can we assess what we're meditating on? How do we know? How can we take honest stock of our life and say, Let me, okay, I'm going to assess, where's my meditation at? Am I meditating on the counsel of the wicked or am I meditating on the kingdom of God? Psalm 1 has the answer. It's quite simple, actually. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. So how do we know where we are putting our meditations? Psalm 1 says quite simply, check the fruit. Because where you have your roots is where you'll have your fruit. Blessed is the one. Blessed. Look at these. There's three words in here that, that, that talk about how you know where your meditation is at. Blessed, the fruit, and in everything you do, you're prospering. Kingdom prospering. 
Blessed. I love that word. It's a great biblical word. The Bible doesn't apologize at all, but in fact encourages us to seek a blessed life. The word blessed in the Bible, it means blessed. It means living in God's favor. It means living in God's blessing. It means living in a covenant relationship with God where his spirit empowers you to do more and to be a part of God's spirit doing through you more abundantly beyond what you thought was even possible. And you're prosperous, it says, in all that you do. The kingdom continues to grow good fruit in you and through you. This is a, it's a summary word, blessed, for your life, a life that is vibrant, that is fruitful, that is living in what Jesus would call the abundant life. I love how the Bible does not apologize, but in fact encourages us to pursue the blessed life, the abundant life. It doesn't say, oh man, here's, here's God's will for your life. Just be really depressed. Just be really anxious. Feel like oh, everything's bad. Everything's hard. There's never breakthrough. I just, woe is me. The world is so fallen, but someday I'm going to heaven. It says, seek the abundant life. The abundant life. The blessed life where you're prosperous in all you do and fruit is coming out of you no matter how hot it is, no matter the storm. Your leaves don't wither because your roots are so deep. Connected to the wellspring of life, the living water. That you live a life that's just different and impossible on your own strength. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to be all peaches and cream. The Bible is also very clear. There will be challenges. There is sacrifice. There is death to self. There is taking up your cross. There will be battles from the enemies. There will be persecution. But in the midst of it all, there will be abundantly good fruit where you can look back at your life and you'll be like, wow, by God's strength and God's grace and God's spirit with me, my life is prospering in all that I do. Man, that's quite an invitation. So real practically, as we walk through life, part of what we need to do to be wise is just to assess fruit. Where am I investing the meditations of my thoughts and what kind of fruit is being produced? If we've lost hope, if we've lost peace, if despair is rising, if fear is rising, if the the desire to be divided is rising, then somehow our meditation has gotten wrapped up in the wrong place. Because it's honoring to God. It brings honor to God to, to change our meditation so that kingdom fruit is what's coming through us no matter what is going on around us. So there's a very important practical step. We'll close with this. It's just where are we choosing to invest our meditation? It's what Psalm 1 is is trying to get us to encourage. So personally for me, I think it's somewhere in the realm of practical. For practical, we should literally be spending more time physically, emotionally, with our minds, digging into God's Word. 
reading his word, listening to messages, listening to worship music, praying, journaling, talking with brothers and sisters. That's all meditating on God's law, being in community, having those challenging but rich conversations. When Psalm 1 says meditate on God's law day and night, that's that we're shaping our life around making sure that a kingdom perspective is what is filling our days. So practically, if we're not spending more time allowing our minds to be infiltrated with a kingdom perspective than we are with the counsel of the wicked, then we just got to stop right there. We got to pause. We got to say, I, I, I don't need to be reading more stuff. And that's why, for me personally, there's so much out there right now in the news, in the media, on social media that, that is not kingdom oriented. That I think practically, this is in our world, in our day, this is one of the most absolutely crucial ways to apply Psalm 1 is what is our meditation day and night? Because as we read, as we, and I, I, I think it's important to be informed. I'm not saying don't be informed, but it's like watch, read, listen just enough to get informed and then get out, get out, abort, you know, before you get slimed. Because we all know the reality that it's, it's, it's like 90% commentary now. On every station, it doesn't matter what the political perspective is. It's so much commentary. And that's where we got to be aware. Is this direct from God's heart? Is this biblical perspective? Is this biblical worldview? Is this the commentary I'm hearing or is this not? Because if it's not Christ, then Psalm 1 says it's counsel of the wicked. It's going to lead us astray. So with so much opinion out there, we got to be spending more time in God's Word to protect us, to even be able to recognize when we're taking in a non-kingdom commentary right now and be able to take a captive or be able to be aware, as Colossians 3 says, to don't let yourself be taken captive. So if I come away with my reading of being informed, so it's social media, it's in news, it's watching, it's listening, whatever it is, if I come away in turmoil, if I come away angry, if I come away fearful, if I come away feeling hopelessness is now knocking at my door, then I know that I've been slimed by the counsel of the wicked. I mean, we got to be careful. It, to me, it's like trying to take a mud bath and expecting to not get dirty. It's we've just got to be aware that if it's not fully committed to and submitted to Christ, it is opposing God's destiny for us, for you. And I think, you know, by the, by the chuckles and such, I know we can, we can all relate. It's like, oh, I just want to be informed. And you read, and you read, and you watch, and you listen, and you scroll, and it's opinion, and it's opinion, and then, oh, I found a fact, but I don't even know what's fact and opinion, you know. You got your hard work, but you come away, and now you're mad, and you're, you're faithless, and you're hopeless, and the world's just doom and gloom, and which one of those is the fruit of the Spirit? 
Which one of those is Romans 15 where it says, May the God of hope fill you with all hope in believing. So if, and if we want to talk about circumstance and circumstance, that church, that believing population was much smaller, much weaker, much more oppressed, had far less rights than any of us do. And yet Paul's perspective is that if you're believing the gospel, if you're soaking in the meditation of God's heart and God's will, then somehow you can be in the worst of circumstances and be full of hope that the kingdom of God is going to break in. And so that's kind of like where we got to test, test ourselves. Because God is not fearful. God is not despairing. God is peace-filled. God is hoped-filled. The current events of our day, or any day, do not deter the agenda that Jesus clearly spoke, that the time has now come, and the kingdom of God is right in front of you. When you repent and believe, it'll break through. And when you repent and believe with your family, it'll break through in greater measure. And when you repent and believe with your spiritual family and your friends, it'll break through in even greater measure. And so there's no limit that the New Testament puts on how much the kingdom of God can break through. It just, Jesus says, I'm looking for workers because they're few. And if we could get some more of those, the kingdom will break through. That's, the, that's the, in a nutshell, the New Testament perspective, that it's just always hopeful. The kingdom of God is at hand. He doesn't see evil in the world and be like, oh, that's too big for me. He says, I've already defeated it. So where are my people that are coming together saying, I believe it, let's live it, come do it. So on that journey, one of the most important things we can do is be vigilant to choose where are we going to put our meditation? Because the Bible's saying awesome things that as long as we're putting our meditation on God's word and delighting in his truth, and it, it, in some ways, it doesn't matter what evil agendas come in our way. It doesn't matter what counsel of the wicked comes our way because they're not setting or creating our worldview. That's how you can be prosperous in everything that you do, even though the counsel of the wicked exists. It's because you're so far deep into the counsel of the holy that that stuff does not change your meditation. So, let's pray. Let's listen. Let's quiet ourselves. And I'll have my wife uh, share. You want to share now, babe? Yes, share now. And then we'll close in prayer. I want to give us a um, practical example that the Lord gave me just relative to this. This was, I think, a few months ago. Um, and the Lord gave me a picture of a radio. You know, just an old-fashioned radio. And... With a radio, you tune into a station, right? Depending on what station you tune into, that's what you're transmitting, and that changes your entire atmosphere. You actually bring into your environment whatever you are tuned, tuned into. So we want to be tuning, we want to be going up. He is with us. He is now. His spirit is living. He is active. He is alive inside of us. He is our living water. He is our manna. And we want to be tuning into him. 
We want to be asking for his perspective on everything. We want to be transmitting his kingdom, his, tuned into his station and transmitting his kingdom, bringing his kingdom in our atmosphere. What I love is when Jesus came to earth, he didn't see what was happening and say, oops, well, I guess that's just what God is doing. We have this idea that's come into our culture. I think it's been just to kind of try to make sense of things where we see bad things that are happening, things that are clearly the enemy stealing, killing, and destroying, things that don't come under the title of the abundant life and life that Jesus wants to bring or redemption. And it's easy to say, or we see it happen in our culture, oh, I guess that's just God's plan. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus came in, he saw the hurting, he saw the sick, he saw the broken relationships, and he, what did he do? He partnered with the Holy Spirit, tuned in to listen, Father, what are you doing? He did what he saw the Father doing, and he brought the kingdom of God, and he said the kingdom of God has come into your midst. So he wasn't helpless to say, oh, oops, well, I guess that's just what ha what's happening, everything's terrible. Um, and I just want to encourage us that we, that Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. We are here to tune in like that radio to the King's station, to usher in his song to our atmosphere and to see it change. I actually just want to read Psalm 23, a part of it. God, I just thank you for this, Jesus. I thank you that you are our light. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You are with me. You are with me. You are in me. You are alive and well. You are with us. You are in us. You are alive and well. You are powerful. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and in us. And you call us to speak life to sing your life over our current situation, over the world circumstances, and over every aspect of our lives. And so, God, we grab your hands, and we ask that you make us singers, that we would sing, that we would tune in to your station and sing your life like Ezekiel did, that we would tune into your station and sing your life. And I'm going to finish uh, the psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So God, we just thank you that as we tune into you, that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life, that it doesn't matter what is happening in the world, it doesn't matter what kind of enemies are surrounding us, that we can count on you being our banquet and you being our song and we can count on that as we partner with you that we will see your song and your words rise and as we speak those words that we and continue to stand in agreement with what your will is that we will see the dry bones come to life if we persist and I feel like the word persist that God wants to encourage us in that don't give up when you don't see it happen right away Sometimes there is a spiritual battle that is much greater and there, is actual, there are actually things that are coming, that they are shifting 
and they are coming into alignment, but they haven't quite made it to where you, you see everything yet. And so I just want to encourage us to persist. So God, we thank you for the great delight of being your children and the great joy that we have. We thank you that we can jump with joy. We can jump with joy because you, you are the sun rising in our lives with healing in its wings from Malachi 4. In Jesus' name. Dance a new dance now.